Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from the Free State is Ms. Tammy Briett from the Freedom Front Plus, who serves as a member of parliament. She sits on several portfolio committees and is also the party's national spokesperson for social development, women, youth, and persons with disabilities. She joins us in our series covering perspectives from women across different political parties in the country. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doctor, and uh, hi to all of your listeners. Thanks for the welcome. To begin with, 14 different political parties are represented in South Africa's National Assembly, and they contribute to the country's multi-party democracy. You are a member of portfolio committees of agriculture, rural development, as well as land reform. Can you please share with us a few of the responsibilities that come with firstly being an MP, and secondly, some of the priority targets of the various portfolio committees that you participate in? Yes, well, I think let me start out to say as MPs, you are the voice of the people. You are elected and that is what you've got to do. You've got to hold the executive accountable and you've got to ensure that South Africa's fiscus and the money being spent by departments and their executive are spent wisely. In terms of your second question, specifically with regard to what the Portfolio Committee does, is we look at the projects, specifically the agriculture and the land reform projects that, that the department set there, and we ensure that the beneficiaries of these projects are truly being helped, that corruption is being addressed within these, these projects, and that at the end of the day, South Africa still remains at the breadbasket of Africa, and that food security in South Africa is still being prioritized and looked at as a main focus point. Look, agriculture is incredibly important. And as you, you mentioned, but South Africa is sometimes regarded as the breadbasket for the continent. And mm-hmm. when we look towards aspects like sustainable development goals, one of them is zero hunger. So yeah. on some of those as, as key priorities, could you share with us some of the, the projects within the portfolio committees that are, are being meted out so that we maintain our position and that we ensure that we have food security. Yes, we have, and and I feel strongly about the commercialization of our farmers. And if you you look at our statistics, we have, I think the statistics are about 20,000 commercial farmers left, and we have an initiative specifically to, to encourage black farmers and to assist them into becoming commercial farmers. And that is one of the, one of the projects in various aspects of, of both agriculture, rural development, land reform that, that, that the department is doing excellent work in. Um, but still needs to be done. If you look at, at our specifically, South Africa has quite rural areas and how we are trying with, in terms of co-ops, how the department is assisting these farmers, these small subsistence farmers, to actually generate an income and, and to ensure they have food security within their communities, but that they also can produce to sell 
to greater markets as, as part of a co-op. So those are two of the projects that I feel quite passionate about and that, that the department is working towards to ensure that, that South Africa stays the breadbasket, but also not just that, ensures that its people are not hungry and are not suffering. Beyond the work that you do in the portfolio committees, and I think it's interesting how you've, we've got different portfolio committees mirroring the departments and ministries. But one mm-hmm. of the ones which I found quite interesting was the, the Parliament's multi-party women's caucus. So yeah. I'd like to get a, a, an indication from you and your perspective on how the women's caucus plays in progressing women's agendas in South Africa. Yeah, I have to say, the I feel very strongly and I'm very passionate about the multi-party women's caucus, specifically because we have femicide and we have gender-based violence and, and it's been in the news for so long. This creates the platform that women throughout our, our political barriers can have this forum and this safe space where we can actually drive this agenda, talk woman to woman about the issues we are facing um, and and it, it gives you that perspective and it's wonderful to, to be coming out of Women's Month, we've had Women's Parliament, to sit there and to realize that it is just, it's a South African problem. It is it is a woman's problem. And we as women through the political parties actually need to take hands and to push forward to encourage all of our political parties to take a stance and do something about femicide, about gender-based violence in South Africa. So it, it really is is one voice one interest that takes us all forward in South Africa. You know, and and staying on that note, our our program is all about gender equality and there's some really appalling statistics when we consider how women in particular fall prey to sexual offence crimes. Over 90% of sexual offences are committed against women. It's estimated that almost 30% of those crimes go unreported. And in the last 10 years alone, almost 600,000 sexual offences have been reported to a police department. And obviously in the past few weeks, we've had various protests against gender-based violence, against femicide, against rape, from shutdown Santon to Am I Next and outside Parliament. So and, and, you know, those, there was such dramatic footage that, that really struck a chord. Yeah. For me, these are really important awareness campaigns, but they really need to lead towards some action. Yes, that is 100%. Um, We had a debate, as as you mentioned, as well, the joint sitting. And what everybody seems to be saying is we should stop with lip service. We should, we should really stop with lip service. It is great to have all these wonderful plans and to have these initiatives. And I, I feel strongly about these initiatives. You mentioned Shutdown Santon and Am I Next. And if you look at the phenomena of Me Too and all of the rest that have actually been international um, to a large extent campaigns, but you need to come back to South Africa and what actually needs to be done. The president has announced things, but what I would personally like to see and and what I know my party would also like to see is we need, the police need to start taking these cases seriously. You mentioned that 
at least 30% get, you know, of, of cases get reported. But if you look at the other statistics, only 2% of rape cases get reported to the police annually. That leaves 98% of rape cases specifically being unreported. And that is, that's unacceptable. If you look at rape kits, 76% of our police stations in South Africa do not have rape kits. And some of them only have one rape kit. We have to empower our police. We've got to ensure that rape kits are at our police stations. We've got to ensure that our police are capable and are tasked and, and take gender-based violence and femicide seriously, that they have the right equipment to deal with these victims. If you look at prosecution, it's wonderful that we have sexual offense courts. But if you look at how they are being, how they are being used, Victims are supposed to testify in open courts where they face their perpetrators, where they face their rapists, you know, and, and that needs to be looked at. But how, because how can we as a country, how can we as legislatures stand and see how these poor victims are traumatized even more? And we need to encourage reporting. And, and that is just some of the things that I would really, um, and, and physical steps being taken by by our country and by our police force that I would like seen. So that speaks to, you know, being able to let let's say take perpetrators to task or being able to ensure that evidence follows through on the right channels and prosecutions okay. are made. But often oh. in, in scenarios of rape we hear that some of these crimes are committed by people that you know. A family yeah. member, uh, mm. someone in your work environment, someone in the home environment. And I think that has a, a lot of bearing on what actually gets reported because once you've gone to court, once you've put in a, mm. a case, you still have to go back home. You still have to face these people. Exactly. And, and that is something specifically in South Africa and in Africa. It is. <laughs> Nowhere we do not have that that sense of we don't have we we have these stereotypes we have we have our beliefs and if you look at South Africa we we even though we are we are a developing country and even though we have all this technology we are very very stereotyped and we are we are very traditional and very conservative in that sense and and I think that allows for for report cases not being reported. And I think in South Africa, as men and as women and as as young people and as elders, we need to take a stance and we need to really work on, on improving the stigma and improving the stigma. I was fortunate, I spoke to some of my colleagues and, and some of my youth members and we said, you know, at the end of the day, um the stigma needs to be needs to be broken and, and young women and children need to be informed a girl who's raped by a boyfriend needs to be explained that that is not right and you have a voice. And, and I think in, in terms of that, in terms of, as you said, a third of, of sexual offences are being committed by partners or ex, ex-partners of women. And that needs to be addressed. And that, that is something that I, I think South Africa still has a long way in, in trying to break and, and trying to, to continue in, and improving. So ultimately, out of the extraordinary joint sitting of, of Parliament, which was held on the 18th of September, 
The mm. five-point plan is prevention, strengthening the criminal justice system, as we've just spoken about, and, and your you know, s- strong clarion call for, for the police to be empowered to, to do their job. Enhancing mm. legal and policy framework, ensuring mm. adequate care, support and healing for victims of violence, and strengthening the economic power of women. Yeah. Turning towards your party itself, According to the Freedom Front Plus's manifesto, the party supports women's rights, but knows that these rights can only be exercised in practice if women are empowered by means of training and the creation of equal opportunities. Could you share with us some of the details about your policies in relation to women? Yes, thank you for that question. And it is something I feel very strongly about is as my party, we do not believe in quotas. We, we really believe in, and we've seen, um, I've been with the party for 15 years, how we have empowered women. We have a women's committee and how, how the women elders in the party really take time and effort to encourage and to build up young women within our party. Um, but to say that, that women, women is a number and you need 50-50 representation, our, our party says that it, they are against it. And I have to say, um, I, I agree with that 100%, and, and I'm so thankful for that. To, to have this opportunity, I need to prove myself equal to, to, my, men, to my colleagues that are men. And, and that is really something that I think puts us a step above the rest in terms of proving that, that women can get somewhere and can reach somewhere when, you know, purely on merit and not because they are women or because they have to be put in a spot. So we understand that the merit um, perspective within parties and Mm. to a large extent we also see that in in the corporate spaces as well as with other political parties. Currently, what would you say the ratio is from a leadership point of view of women to men? I have to say that is quite interesting. Because we do not have a quota system and we're not prescribe that 50% of executives needs to be women. Um, taking back in the free state and on the different forms, our councillors, for example, the majority of our councillors for the party in the free state are women. You have some other provinces where, where that is not necessarily the case. So I have to say, at the end of the day, um, our, our, our national Federal Council is 50-50 women, and that is purely by the merit and these people being, you know, women and men being elected by their provinces to represent their provinces. And I think that's a great system because it allows women to, within their own scope and within their own merit, to actually achieve something. And coming back to the party's support of women's rights, one of the things which I thought was important was about, and it, you know, it goes back to what we've been saying about being able to put things in motion and into action. Yes. How do you see the realization then of female empowerment in practice? I think by, and, and something that I feel very strongly about is education, but also women supporting women. And if I can take it back to my own party, how our former female NPLs and our, our, our current you know, female councillors, how they go out of their way to encourage and when we have drives to actually you know, um, 
have branches and have branch meetings and, and get people elected and get candidates. I mean, we're going into a, a local government election very soon. You know, all of our campaigns and all of our gears in the political parties are all shifting towards towards LGE 2021. And, and to actually see how women are supporting women and are encouraging women to actually have a voice and and to see how, how women empower other women, it's really, it's, it's really such an amazing thing to, to see that in work. And I think by, by standing up for ourselves, we are, are really making a difference. You mentioned that you've been with the party for the last 15 years. Please tell us more about your journey into politics. Yes. Well, yes. As I said, I started, I was a first year at university. I studied at the University of the Free State and I became involved. I had a strong sense of I needed to help people. I needed to be the voice for students who could not speak, who did not want to speak. I am very passionate about languages as well. And we had, at, when I was at university, we had Afrikaans and English as mediums, but we were developing Sesotho. And, and that actually really got me into politics. And, and being a political campus where your student representative council is, is politically elected at that stage, I, I really had introspection to see which party I do agree with and, and which one I would like to, to strengthen and I would like to be a part of. And that is... I started as a normal branch member and I built myself up. I became our chairperson of our, our university branch and I eventually became youth leader of the province where I built myself up and I was elected to national youth leader. And, and during that as well, I, I was part of our structures and I became a candidate for multiple elections where I was a candidate. I was eventually, I was a member of our provincial legislature, which is our provincial parliament, where I was elected. And I was elected there above men who are, are you know, more experienced and have been serving longer in the party. But my party believed in me. And now eventually I am elected MP. I'm still retaining my position as youth leader. And I really do hope I can, I can take that forward. Politics is hard. You have very little personal life, and, and it, I do believe it's a calling. You sometimes have to choose between bad and worse, and you have to make difficult decisions, but, but I do believe it's a calling, and I, and I really want to, to strengthen South Africa, and I want to build South Africa, and I really want to be part of the solutions, and that is, in short, why I got involved with politics. We can hear the passion. We can hear the energy in your voice. And something which I, you know, I've, I've observed looking towards uh, Canada, Justin Trudeau, France, mm. Emmanuel Macron, all very young leaders in charge of important economic countries. So yeah. it's, it's really refreshing to hear the take on a young leader being promoted within the ranks of her party. And bring a different dynamic and, and speak for the youth because ultimately if we look at our population demography I think about 65 to 70 percent of our population is under the age of 35. Mm -hmm. Yep and as well maybe just to add to that Africa has um, if, if you look at the world we have the oldest leaders yet the youngest populations. Um, and, and I think that is, that is why it's so important. And that is why I do not for one moment take my position and where I am for granted. 
Um, I believe my party's caucus in parliament is also relatively young, taking into account some of the other party demographics and, and ages. And I really do feel that we have, I have an important role to play in South Africa as a young person and as a young woman in South Africa, taking the country forward. Earlier, we spoke about some of the attributes of, of helping women, one of them being education. And we see that frequently on the show, that education is a skill and resource which contributes to women's empowerment. And mm-hmm. not only to their self-development, but also towards the betterment of their families. You mentioned that you'd studied at the University of the Free State, uh, where you attained your BCom. And you were also involved in student representative councils as well as residence committees. Speaking from first-hand experience, please tell us what role do you consider education has played in your life and career development? I think education for me, and I think generally speaking, plays a pivotal role. I had a very interesting conversation with with my chairperson and on my committee, and he said, you know, at the end of the day, read, read, and better yourself. Because the more you read and the more you learn, the the greater your perspective becomes and the more you can help other people. And at the end of the day, I think that is what education and, and being at the university has helped me. Because purely from an education point of view, you you learn so much and you become so much greater. But from a personal level and a, and a less academic level, I should say, you you interact with so many different people from so many different backgrounds and so many different cultures and languages and and so many viewpoints that it really does improve you as a human being and it, and it gives you the scope and understanding to to be a better person. It reminds me of of one of my favorite Dr. Seuss quotes, which goes something along the lines of the more you read, the more you know, and the more you learn, the more places you'll go. (laughs) Exactly. That is is one of my favorite quotes as well from Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Can you share with us some of your views on education as, as a tool for women to change their lives? Yes, specifically, I mean, we've seen so much. Women specifically, and and I mentioned earlier, African South Africa is still very traditional in its views of of women as nurturers. And I really firmly believe that women who educate themselves, women who in different forms, we we see women um, doing things with their hands, beading and, and learning different trades, women going to universities, women becoming all these different aspects, really empowers them as women, teaches South Africa that women are more than just nurturers. Women are capable of being business people. Women are capable of of growing the economy. And in the long run, if you also look at statistics, I believe South Africa's population is currently something in the line of 51 or 52% of our population are women. Um, So South Africa and, and women really are the future of South Africa. We need to empower them because... If you look after a woman, ultimately you look after the future and you look after future generations. And and I do believe women, women are the future. And as you say, if we can get another 51% of the population contributing to the economy, our exactly. environment and world would be a much better place. Exactly. It, it really is. And I had a funny quote. Somebody said, well, did you see any world war ever started by women? Therefore, we need more women in politics because then we'll have less more, less war and more peace. 
um, just a tongue-in-cheek comment, but, but that to me really, really rings true. We couldn't agree with you more. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to Member of Parliament, Ms. Tammy Briett from the Freedom Front Plus. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. To continue our conversation regarding women, Women have had numerous issues to contend with in order to help reduce some of the gender differentials in pursuit of equality. We've already spoken about empowerment. We've spoken about the scourge of gender-based violence. Uh, We've spoken about Mm -hmm. education as an upliftment um, point. And the World Economic Forum regularly produces a global gender gap report, and they use four key dimensions, economic participation and opportunity, educational attainment, health and survival, and political empowerment. And usually on the educational attainment levels, our our levels are are pretty good, uh, as well as on the health and survival. But economic participation and political empowerment still score below index. I know that legislation and quotas are a couple of interventions to accelerate progress. What are your views with respect to being able to close gender gaps more rapidly? You know, this is it's a very contextual subject and and I know some of my colleagues from, from other parties get very upset with me when, when as a woman I say the following. But to me, quotas are not the solution. You cannot reduce women to, to merely a quota and you cannot legislate equality because by no, nowhere in the world can you, you cannot legislate people being equal to one another. And, and I would like to explain it by, by, by example. We were in, in KZN three weeks ago with some oversight where taking into account my committee, we have a 60, 70, you know, 60, 70% of our committee are females. And um, we went out into rural KZN and we went to interact with farmers. The majority of the farmers we interacted with were men and the majority of the beneficiaries were men. And at one point during the conversation, we actually, one of the, the males in our, in our delegation, one of the males in our committee actually had to stand up and had to explain to, to the farmers and the beneficiaries and specifically the males, that they have got to listen to the women on the committee and they have, they have got to respect them as equal members to the men on, on the committee. And we are really just trying to do our jobs and we are trying to, to interact with them to find out what their circumstances are. And to me, that, that explains and portrays what is really wrong in South Africa is we have our, we, we very culturally and, and very traditionally based Still very conservative still, and we need to we need to change what we see women as. We we need to change our view on women. We cannot continue seeing women as objects. 
We cannot see and, and, and continue judging women as purely an object that creates wealth for somebody. We need to change that. And I believe once we get the perspective in South Africa changed, we need to teach our young men and our young boys that they need to respect women and women are their equals. But we need to teach our young girls and our young women that they are worthy of respect, that they are equal, and that they can achieve anything that they set, so set their mind to. And I think that is what we need to focus on. We need to focus on true empowerment. We need to focus on training. We need to encourage our girls to go to school and to not just, you know, live off a social ground. We need to empower them. And, and us as women and women in politics and women um, that are there, we have such an important role because we have got to stand up. We've got to make our voices heard and we've got to ensure that by leading and, and by setting an example, we can actually help and assist and, and achieve true gender equality within South Africa. This brings in though another dynamic and that's the sociocultural dynamic where you've spoken about the farmers and the beneficiaries, majority being male when you were in KZN. And I'm I'm drawing on an assumption here, but I would say that it would be a slightly older generation. And (laughs) And the challenge is that older people have already had their mental models fixed and this is their perspective of woman. This is their view of woman. Mm-hmm. Whereas you've just mentioned as well that a younger generation, you're looking at uh, the, the the equality between men and women, boys and girls. So it's always concerning for me that we almost have to wait another generation for these types of changes to take effect. You know, it is, and and it is, it is worrying, and and I mean. But at the end of the day, if you, if you look at history, nothing in history has happened instantly. Everything has taken time and has taken steps. And I think um, we are humans and we adapt and, and we change and, and we adapt to our circumstances. And I do believe that it is a continual struggle and we're not going to fix this. and We're not going to fix gender equality if, if you can call it a problem that needs fixing. Um, within a year or two. But I think if we continually focus on that and and work hard together, I think we can make a change and and we can make a difference and and the stigma can change. So in effect, we're actually building for a future which potentially we might not get to experience, but we'll hopefully make the lives of of others better. Yes. At at the end of the day, maybe just to add is, is, I think that is what makes it so important. Is you cannot just be selfish. Um, look at the climate change differences we've also seen. Is people are actually we are we are building for future gen- generations. We can't be be elitist to think that we are the only and the last and the alpha and the omega. We need to build towards the future. And if we had that attitude, then we would be destroying civilization. Exactly. <laughs> Now, turning towards more of a personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on this show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. A lot of people talk about hard work, perseverance, a a particular person. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? I think... 
perseverance has been one of of the greatest and and not only but but greatest and that is to even though you fall down seven times to stand up eight times i my dad is is a tough man and he would usually say it's okay tantam you know get knocked down but it's the amount of times you stand up that really shows your character and and that that i've seen being knocked down, not being elected necessarily, but standing up and fighting and having your voice heard and going back and then winning. It it really has taught me that you just go, go and keep on going and eventually the good and your achievements will, will prevail. And there's a, another quote where they say that success is the best measure of revenge or the best form of revenge. Exactly. And who have been some of the strong women in your life? I have to say, with, without any exceptions, my, my two grandmothers, I come from a, quite a matriarchal family where, where the grandmothers completely took over. They were the strong women. They, in a time where women would not speak out or a time when women would not wear pants, my two grandmothers would wear pants and would speak up and would stand up for what they believe in. And I was raised by one of my grandmothers and, and because my mom worked full time. And I have to say they really encouraged me. And I saw in terms of my aunts, my mom and her two sisters and my aunts on my, my dad's side, how they are these absolute strong women who did not take anything lying down. My one aunt at 40 decided that she would like to become a farmer because she loves plants, she loves gardening, and how she has created a successful business. Or my, my other aunt who, who built herself up and has her own business, who started out as a runner at the SABC many, many years ago, and how she envisaged her dream. Or even and my mother, who is most probably one of my, my greatest role models, who in her, she's a quiet woman and she doesn't speak a lot, but when she speaks, you, you listen. And she has shown me that perseverance and love of your family really goes a long way. And I have to say, without exception, the women in my family are my number one role models. Wonderful that you've got your role models so close to home and it sounds like a, a fantastic network of of enablement that you, you you mentioned when your mom was at work, your grandmother would step in to help raise you. So people were filling in those gaps in order for their loved ones to achieve what they needed to do. Exactly. That is really. And and my my one aunt, who is quite a feminist, would say, don't wait for anybody. To, to give you something or to to make to give you your achievements, you've got to go out and work for it and, and work tooth and nail for it. And and I really with my network and and even my girl cousins to see what they have achieved and how they have just continued fighting and working and how from nurses to radiologists to to teachers they have become and how they make differences in their societies and they really want to make a change to the people around them. That's, it's really encouraging. Please tell us a few of the pivotal moments in your life when you were growing up. I, I have to say the most pivotal moment was most probably having a grand and, and being able to be raised by, by another generation as well, two generations, and, and to hear how it used to be and to have that inspiration. 
but I was also very fortunate to be an exchange student in Europe and how how that broadens your mind and you see things in a different perspective, but how you also realize that that Africa is your home and, and how by having strong women there and I one of my, my host aunts was, was a politician in, in, in Belgium in Belgium, but how you could see women women encourage and take step and that, that really is pivotal moments and even at university where I had to take a stance and where you realize that you've got to be the voice. Pivotal moments as well. And, and purely by fluke, I was asked to, to teach debating one year and how that has absolutely become a passion to me. And, and I really have to say that teaching and empowering young women and paying it forward and, and being involved in, in young women and their minds and their development has really been a pivotal moment in in, in my life to realize that I'm not just here fighting for me and, and my future, but I have such an important role as, as a role model for, for younger girls to stand up and, and to keep and to keep fighting, even though it's difficult. And, and I think that is one or two of the, the pivotal moments in my life that I, I really have to say has, has kept me keeping going on. Your enthusiasm is contagious and <laughs> having this view of, of being able to pay it forward, of leveraging the, the generations of knowledge that you've had imparted onto you and taking it on to the next generation is, is really aspiring to see. Now, finally, as we close the conversation today, could you please share a few words of wisdom or encouragement that you'd like to pass on to young ladies and women listening to us today? I think most importantly and foremost that we women need to stand together. We can achieve mountaintops if we unite and make our voices heard. But also to every single young girl and, and woman out there, you are worthy, you are strong, and you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. Wonderful message. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Doctor. It is a wonderful opportunity. It's a pleasure having you on the show, and we really wish you all the very best to keep spreading that message of, of positivity and encouragement and enthusiasm to empower our next generation of ladies to come. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to Member of Parliament, Ms. Tammy Priet from the Freedom Front Plus.